This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Support for this podcast comes from U.S. Bank. U.S. Bank wants to know how you reward yourself because they have cards that make every day more rewarding. Are you a points order, cashback guru, low intro APR lover? With U.S. Bank, it's up to you because they have the cards to fit your lifestyle. So earn more whether you're shopping at a gas station or grocery store, even while planning a staycation. Learn more at usbank.com slash credit card. U.S. Bank credit cards are issued by U.S. Bank National Association N.D. Some restrictions may apply. Member FDIC. But then by the weekend, it hit 61. And I'm like, this is just ridiculous. And then Monday, it's down to 54, 55. Monday, Tuesday. These dudes lever up like 80x. They have like 80 times leverage and they're buying Bitcoin. And then once it goes down, they've got to they've got to sell immediately to get out of it. Like they they and then it plummets the price 5,000 or more. It doesn't really matter long term, but it's this crazy game these guys are playing. That when it goes down a little, it goes down a bunch. But long term, it doesn't make any difference. And I don't even care about the dips anymore. But it's just been crazy. And now, as we're recording this podcast, it's just time stamped. This 58,645. Yeah, and, and JP Morgan and, and major banks are talking about their wealthy clients. And um, I, I guess the, the Miami's mayor claims he's getting calls from other mayors, people uh, looking into like paying their city workers with Bitcoin. It's just Cash App is now letting you trade, you know, bit from send Bitcoin to, to others in Cash App. And they send, I they believe they gave away a million dollars free of it too. And that, so that was trending on Twitter, but yeah, it's super, yeah, it continues to be exciting and volatile both at the same time. But yeah, it's, uh, that's why you just got to have diamond hands and not check. But having said that, I'm as guilty as anyone. I, I, I checked the price like a very embarrassing amount amount of times in the typical day. Although today I've been super busy. Sorry, started late. I um been on meetings and, and, and all kinds of videos today. I would complain more, but I heard Jeff Erickson complaining on XM too. So all your co-hosts are, are super busy and you're just living the life of luxury there. You just I don't even make you wait, in fact, because this is like the one week where you don't have daylight savings. So even in the one time I'm like, oh, I'm gonna make lists, uh, you know, change his schedule, I barely did that even, am I right? Yeah, no, I can't be moved. You know, I, I the, the world goes around me scurrying to and fro, and I'm like a rock, and I just do my thing, and you know, the, the waves crash around me. But I'll tell you what, uh, it's been busy for me too. You know, we had that staff keeper league draft last night, and Amazingly, even with the inefficiencies of it, it ended at 3.30 a.m. my time, which is a record. I mean, it used to end at 3.30 a.m. L.A. time. That's how bad it was. This is eight hours ahead of L.A. time, 3.30, I'm done. I had to sleep during the day a little bit today because I was tired when I had to wake up and walk Oscar. But it wasn't that bad. So I, I did that. And I've been doing a bunch of stuff, too. So I've been a little bit busy. Not as bad as you guys. Jeff is like dealing with his ailing parents, like flying to Wichita like four times this month. And it's truly and then like oh, yeah. and then unpa- unpacking all their stuff and like getting them to move and, you know, finding all these like 
people exploiting them for like charities, fake charities and, and all sorts of scams they do on old people. So he's like untangling all that shit, which is, you know, so he, he's had it pretty bad, but, but anyway, yeah, I'm, I'm, complaining, I'm complaining about zoom calls over here. Yeah. yeah. You know, Erickson has me beat there. I feel, feel bad about that, but following up right after we 16 team or two. So it never ends list, but what, what else is going on in the world, man? How you been? So, uh, I'm all right. Things are pretty good. I don't know why I'm, I'm in sort of a good mood, which I'm not really sure why. Cause I've been dreading a lot of things. Things, uh, recently, you know, that I, I just feel like I feel maybe I'm imagining this. Maybe it's just more a reflection of my internal state, but I feel like the tide is turning just a little bit. I think people are starting to get sick of being told what to do. Uh, there's still like the compliance people who comply on everything, and no matter what the authorities say or the CIA might say, of course it's true. But I think that's on the wane. I think that uh, people are just thinking for themselves a little bit more. It just, I just seems to be breaking through slightly on my Twitter and my interactions with people. I don't know. Are you, you feeling this or, or not? Absolutely. It's turned the corner. Things are opening up. Sports are opening up. And yeah, this, everyone's uh, life is... Yeah, it's an opti- optimistic feeling in general. I, I mean, yeah, that's good to hear you even come from you. No, I'm not talking about, uh, you know, oh, well. I was going to say, you were, you were cutting me off. What? Okay, why? What, what, what? I'm, 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 I'm going down a different path than you were? Totally. I, I, whether or not people think COVID is going to end because, you know, the vaccine or because enough people have caught it or whatever the reason, or it's summer and vitamin D, whatever the reason you ascribe to it, case numbers going down, that's different. I'm talking about people saying, regardless, it's great that the numbers are going down. Obviously, we all hope they go to zero. But regardless, you know, we did our year. And now this is over. That, that, that's a different thing than it's only over because things are going down and the government's saying so. It's almost like they're getting ahead of the government. Like, you know, okay, good. It's ending. It's over. We're doing this. Do you see what I mean? That's a different thing than saying I'm optimistic that we'll be allowed to do this because yep. yeah, we'll have small gatherings come 4th of July. No, yeah, we're married right. right now. Yeah, exactly. Like we're not optimistic because things might go in our favor. Hopefully they do. But I'm getting a little bit of a vibe that's like we flatten the curve for two weeks slash one year and that's it. Yeah, we just had that one year anniversary. Yeah. Flatten the curve. Fine. I, I get it. You know, it's we don't know in the beginning how serious something is. I think it's good to be cautious. You know, I was definitely cautious. Sure. And but sure. at a certain point it's like, all right. That's what it is. You know, we know that this is not a five-year thing. This is not serious enough. Now, if there were dead bodies in the street when you walked out the door, maybe it would be a five-year thing. You know, maybe you'd be like, just, it wouldn't be what the government was telling you to do. It would just be because you'd be like, hell no, I'm not going to a, a restaurant. Are you crazy? You know, there's a dead body right outside my house. And that's not really the case. All right. So that's just one thing. I'm, I'm feeling a little bit optimistic about just the, and, and it's not just COVID. COVID is just one of a million things. You know, I think it's partly because Trump is gone and everything's not Trump versus not Trump and, and the network's got so much play and the, and the corporate media is just really the thing I think that's the most divisive in the country. I feel like that's on the wane too. Way down. Yeah, the ratings are down. Way down, by the way. Their relevance is going down. They're attacking like Substack and all this stupid stuff and Greenwald is just owning them left and right. But they're just not relevant. They're not important anymore. And there's no Trump to use as the lightning rod to fuel resistance to Trump and resist and then to buy into whatever Trump's not saying. And so now it's kind of like people, I don't know, I'm a little bit hopeful that people are just thinking for themselves a little bit more and just like, all right, enough, enough. 
You know, enough of this sort of orthodoxy of belief and thought and everything else. And the thought police are still there. People are trying it. But I feel like they're going to get shabapped. Like you're going to come at people and tell them you can't say this or think this or do this. And they're going to get shabapped. There's going to be more resistance. I think it feels like that to me. People are done with it. They're done with this sort of it feels like the, the Internet came to be and it re- represented this sort of quantum leap for humankind in the way that it could function. But now that we're only like 20 years into that, 25 years into that, and the old structures are truly dying, the old media, the, the, some of the government control over the narrative is dying. And now we're sort of in like if you caught a big fish and you put it over the, the deck of the boat and it's like flapping around dangerously, like you, you don't want to get whipped in the face by the tail of the fish before it dies. But this is like a fish that's in, you know, it's been caught and it's just flailing around right now. And that's what I feel like the, the legacy system's doing. And it's going to smack some people who get in its way as it dies. It's going to get more rough and more volatile. But I think like this thing is dying. There's a new, there's a new thing being ushered in. It's not just Bitcoin. It's the internet. The internet, we feel like, oh, well, we've had the internet. No, not really. We're just getting to the point where it's, it's starting to wipe out the middlemen and, and, and wipe out the, sort of the, the makers of the narrative. It's like the feds. They, they may not like Bitcoin, but they know, they know it's inevitable. But yeah, no matter, I won't push back here at anything you're saying. I, I feel it too. Um, and yeah, it's crazy that I, I remember talking about flattening the curve on XM show with you a whole year ago. And I just like become familiar with the term and man, so much has changed in a year yet. It's also flown by, but yes, I do feel the same, an energy and a turning point in the air. It, it does feel like it's, it's happening. All right. And so it's nice. It's, good. Yeah, it's great. It's great. And, and I, so I'm not making that up. At least uh, you and I are on the same page. We might both be making it up. The other thing is that there was a podcast. I forget what podcast it is. I'm going to check it out eventually. Maybe I bookmarked it. I got to look. But it was a podcast, and at the very end, uh, they were interviewing one of these guys, and he was from like NYDIG or NYDG or something. It's some company yeah. where this guy Ross Stevens, who was really eloquent on a Michael Saylor podcast, um, I guess one of his partners was being interviewed. And at like the fifty-minute mark, I got to find the actual podcast. I should have done this before the show. He says something like, "There's prepare for some very big announcements this week because they have huge institutional clients that they onboard." Allegedly, some large companies announcing that they're going in big. And I think that this is just, I mean, it's almost like, I don't know. I, again, you and I, we're just two dudes who, who lose money in the super contest every year. So take, take what we say <laughs> yeah. with a grain of salt. But I feel like, you know, 60, it's going to get back to 60 by the time we wake up tomorrow. I don't know. Short term price predictions, a little crazy. But I think we're going to hit 75, 80 pretty soon, 100. Pretty soon. Like, I don't think it's going to be like in a year it'll be 100. I think in like a month it'll be 100. That's what it feels like to me. Well, it's insane how much it's followed the stock to flow for whatever the last 12 years or whatever. And it's that that's pointing very aggressively here. And um, yeah, I believe it's Visa has even been talking about it. So yeah, I've read the same things as, as that uh, big announcement. And um, yeah, it continues to look look bullish and it yeah do, do you have any counters on the um environment sailor actually had a pretty good thread that i bookmarked for the next person that uh that wants to there but I, it's all it's all very difficult though do, do you do you have a good answer to the environment read marty bent's newsletter because he talks about yes, it a lot yes, uh it is the it is the only force in my opinion that's credible for greening up the planet and saving the environment. The only one, not only, not only is it not polluting the way they say, it is the 
It is a force for the opposite, and in my opinion, the only credible one, because the government ones or the Paris Accords are where countries have to voluntarily stop doing stuff, creating the energy that their populations need voluntarily, that people want and we're willing to pay for. They're not going to give it to them to produce goods and services voluntarily when you know some countries you know the US obviously we've built so much up <laughs> using so much energy and then the poorer countries are supposed to not use it or other countries that are competing that thing a was toothless and b was not realistic and it wasn't going to work but show me the incentives and I'll show you the results and so this is the first time that on a large scale Energy conservation and efficiency is being truly incentivized. I mean, they, they do it where Tesla buys credits or something for its electric cars, but that's, you know, it's like the government handing out money. It, that's never going to be efficient. The way this works is the miners have to burn a lot of energy to mine each block of Bitcoin, and you, you have to outlay the expense for the energy, and then you get paid in Bitcoin. And to the extent that's profitable, miners buy more equipment and you know, put together bigger operations. Well, how do you make it profitable? If I wanted to go compete with some miners and just plug in a, a mining rig and get the software, whatever the hardware, and put it in, in my house in Portugal, the electricity would be so expensive here, I would get killed. I would lose money probably, or you know, the, the other people would get rewarded for much cheaper. So, for instance, like in oil wells, they have flares of methane and natural gas flare off. I don't know the exact understanding of it, but basically, that's methane is like twenty times more of a greenhouse gas than carbon dioxide, which is the one that everybody talks about. Methane is much worse. And it's too expensive to trap it or use it for them. But Bitcoin miners are setting up in these oil and gas fields and, and getting the flared methane and using that to mine Bitcoin. So not only are they zero emissions because they're taking things that are already being emitted, but it's actually capturing some of the methane and turning it to electricity, which is actually a positive. So there's hydroelectric dams in China that they're using for mining. Now, they are using coal, too. They're, it does pollute. But the thing is, the incentive is going to be to find stranded energy because the problem with energy is, let's say in, in Iceland somewhere, there's an amazing dam or a waterfall they can hydroelectric power they can have. How are they going to ship that power from Iceland to the UK? It's too far. They're going to build some giant grid to get it there. So there's a lot of power that exists, like those uh, hydroelectric dams in China that are stranded and there's no real economic use for them. Well, that's why they put the mines there. So normally, you not only have to generate electricity, but you have to transport the electricity uh, to, to use it. And that transport piece is, is a real problem. And so much energy is squandered. But because Bitcoin, you mine it in place and then send the results over the internet, you can basically mine it anywhere. And so there's a, there's a great Nick Carter, this guy Nick Carter did a video on it, he was like on CNBC explaining it, that it's the first location independent energy consumer, which just frees up very difficult locations that were sort of not in play except for a very local area before. So this is going to incentivize people to find cheaper and cheaper sources of stranded energy, to, to bring energy that's not being used, to use all sorts of natural sources or squandered sources of energy. And that is going to actually bring out, uh, there's going to be a competition basically to get the cheapest, right. most efficient, non-used energy. And so suddenly, you know, that's how innovation comes. I mean, yeah. people are competing to, to discover other stranded energy, and they're basically using it in a productive way. And then, of course, the, the, the other argument is like, well, and the Nick Carter video is great. I should probably link to it. But he says, compare Bitcoin, and people say, well, because the questioner said, well, you know, v, you know having a visa transaction 
that, that doesn't use much energy at all, right, compared to a Bitcoin transaction. So isn't Visa a lot greener than Bitcoin? But he said, well, Visa is just sort of a second layer kind of thing, right? The Visa only works uh, because the dollar works and the federal, the Fed works and the banking system works. So what is the energy footprint of the banking, of the fiat banking system? Well, it depends. You want to include the U.S. military in that, that kind of supports the U.S. banking system, because the U.S. military uses quite a bit of energy, you might imagine, you know, shipping tanks and planes and uh, aircraft carriers and warships. That, that is very uh, energy intensive stuff. But even without the military, just, you know, the office buildings and bankers and travel and, you know, it's a huge energy consumer also. So you can't just compare Visa uh, to, to Bitcoin because Bitcoin is the whole stack. It's it's the base layer of the banking system all the way up to the lightning network and probably layers that are going to get built on top of that. So bottom line, uh, the energy thing is some FUD. It's not even FUD. It's just, it's, it's just a, a weapon. It's misusing data also, right? It's basically misusing data fundamentally misunderstanding how it works and it's basically just a talking point that's been circulating the last month but it's going to fail and you know michael saylor he said that bitcoin's defended by a million cyber hornets or whatever and it's true when one of those like blue check guys who's desperate for some clicks publishes like a fud energy argument that's misinformed there's like hundreds of people dunking you know dunking quote tweeting the guy mocking him memeing him and you think okay well that's just twitter but no it really is an army that comes to defend the misinformation right away right away i mean imagine if there's misinformation about anything and you know it sticks like they'll say oh you know trump told the secretary of state in georgia that she'd be a hero if she overturned this or whatever and that was false right but like that lie stood until just like a week ago it was corrected right but it's way too late right but but you know so the, right. there was an army of trump supporters but they they weren't as informed they weren't as well organized it wasn't like you know you you post the tweet and you're sworn upon there was a cost to to libeling bitcoin there's a cost to it and so I just think this stuff's going to get snuffed out. It's not working. It's not working. But they're trying because you see like 20 different people at the same time posting the exact same article, basically. Yeah, and you explained it well there. It's definitely seemingly creating a race to be the most efficient and worldwide, running on branded energy at the edge of the grid, all interesting stuff. Um, and also, like the, price, the price increase and the network scale, Sailor points out that like the whatever, the energy per unit well, then, like, you know, it'll look much more efficient, but it'll all improve. That's a really good point, because that's another mistake they're making. Is they're saying $200 billion network takes this much energy. A, a trillion dollar network is going to take five times as much energy. No, it doesn't work like that. It doesn't work like that. So it's not going to just exponentially scale up and use all the energy of the planet. Yeah, it uses energy. But everything uses energy, and this is the one thing that's actually innovating to use energy in the most efficient. Yeah. What else you got? So, well, we'll get to the sports in a minute. Update on the property situation. So the property situation, apparently, I, I think when we last talked last week, this one ex-wife did not want to sell this property to us, and so everybody else, everything was ready, and she said she wasn't going to sell. But then... A, little, a couple days later, they found this document saying that her husband, who died, had already renounced his share, so she has no claim. We're like, okay. And now we found out that that paper that they found, okay, the lawyer has to verify that that, you know, they just have like the receipt, but the original notarized paper is in the 
camera it's called it's like the municipality where they file this kind of stuff right it's not online or whatever it's in the some drawer somewhere and of course because it's so old and it had to be moved from uh tomar the local one to a even bigger district and that takes longer to retrieve so we're waiting in the meantime they did send back our full deposit so we said look just come back to us when you got your shit together in the meantime, just send our money back because it's just there's no reason for you to be holding the money. And they did. They sent it right back. So that made me feel a little bit better because it made me seem like, oh, these guys are legit. They're not just like scamming us for this money. Like they're, they're really trying to sell it and just trying to cut through the red tape. Right. Okay. Well, yeah, I know that that was – yeah, and you, you could have gone after more or whatever, right? We could have, and that's probably why they sent it back so fast. You know, we're not trying to – it's like irresponsible of them not to have had their shit together, but – in their defense, like they're not trying to screw us and Portugal is hell for this kind of stuff. And they're just like people who live in the country, probably never sold a house before and, you know, didn't really realize what it entailed. So, yeah. so are you looking around then? What, what, what is the plan? Then? Well, we have another one that, that's more expensive and it's more cash down. And we're thinking about that too, but it would be hard to get both. And this other one is a, is a really good deal. The one that we were you know, supposed to close on. So if we spend this, we kind of need the money for this if we're, and for the other one. And then if they came back a month later with the documents, we'd be short. So we're looking into you know, other ways to finance it. Nice. Nice. Good deal. Okay. So the other thing, we talked about some math last time, and uh, it, it was so well received. I've never had so much support for the math. The whole part of the reason I went down the rabbit hole about this, this biggest number duel was I, I read an article by this guy, Scott Aronson. I guess he's an MIT professor, but he's at University of Texas. And it was his article. I, I, he like sounded familiar, so I, I knew I'd emailed some guy about this like eight years ago, 2013. So I went through my old emails, and in fact, I had emailed this guy. I hadn't obviously written the Substack post about it, and he basically told me the same thing that my number was pretty big, but it wasn't you know for the same reason the other guys told me. But then I read his article recently, the one that kind of got me down the rabbit. I was like, oh, this guy actually also emailed eight years ago. And he was basically taking up the question of like, why do people care about big numbers and why are a lot of people very averse to these kind of numbers? And he started with this like old story of like, well, what's the biggest number you can name between two like ancient aristocrats? And one was like 83. Can you beat that? He's like, no, that's the biggest. That's pretty big. And it was just the idea that people just, you know, the things that aren't easily like countable or in your life, it's just, it's overwhelming. And that he said that uh, the size of the number you can name didn't really change from like ancient Greece until like the the 19th century. And it's just kind of crazy. And he said also that he felt there was something to the big numbers that whoever can name the bigger number is the person with the bigger paradigm, the better paradigm, the better concept of expanding sequences and functions. And so it's like your imagination of what you can imagine is larger if you have a larger number, if you can envision a larger number or describe a larger number. So... You people just have small imaginations. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah that's what I'm trying to say. Okay, that's one. And then, then two, I was going to write a, another Substack story, but I, the one I wrote was stupid, and I, I had to scrap it. Uh, but the idea that, that like, you know, when you get to, like, you know, 10 to the Google and then 10 to the 10 to the Google and 10 to the, you know, these numbers you know, or the numbers that I talked about last time, um, there's no, you know, there's only 10 to the 80th atoms in the universe. And so... Why do you need more than a Google? 10 to 100 is Google. Like, you know, there's nothing in the universe you could possibly have because, you know, there's, but there is one thing. I don't know if we talked about this last time. There's one thing 
that 10 to the 100th does not account for in our lives. There's actually one thing that these numbers, now the really, really big ones like I described, the ones that were much bigger that I got schooled on, those we can maybe, maybe not. But what is the thing that is bigger than the atoms in the universe? What is the, uh, the bigger, what we need a bigger paradigm for? In the world, um, I don't know, sand on the beach? I don't know. No, sand on the beach is about 10 to the 20th. Okay, so atoms in the universe is 10 to the 80th. It's a lot, a lot bigger. Water, water molecules. No, no, no. I'm talking about atoms. Well, molecules are composed of atoms. Atoms in the universe. I'm not talking about atoms on the planet Earth or in the oceans. I'm talking about in the universe okay. instead of the 80s. I'm talking about there's there's four quite there's quite stars. Star. No, there's there's you know I don't know how many trillion or quadrillion stars there are, but that's quadrillion. I'm, I'm talking about again atoms. So think about this. Quintillions more. There's like ten to the twentieth atoms in a grain of sand. In one grain of sand. Right. And then there's that many grains of sand on the beach. And then there's that many stars in the universe. You know, I mean, you, you know, and we're still just at 10 to the 60th. Atoms in the universe is 10 to the 80th. That's it. Why do we need numbers bigger than 10 to the 80th? Why do we need these numbers? And not just bigger, astronomically bigger, like not even close. What, what possible operation do we need them for? Can you think of it? Uh, light, sound, I don't know. Permutations, probability, possibilities. So... There's the number of atoms in the universe, and there's the number of, of the ways the atoms in the universe could possibly be arranged. Ran, you know, so it's 10 to the 80th factorial. But even that's not even close to these numbers, right? But So I started thinking about, like, why, why do we have the capacity even to imagine this stuff? Why do, we even, why do humans even have the capacity to imagine something so big if the practical use ends at the... Because, like, you know, what does this actually mean? Well, you know, my friend had a theory. He got in a scary plane ride. Gonna, this is what I was writing about. I couldn't get it to work, so I'm just going to say He gets in a scary plane ride. You know, you've been on some scary planes, right, where there's like a bump and a jarring, and you're like, holy shit, I'm going to die, right? And, he, you know, happens, yeah. Yeah. and so somehow it lands. I, once, I looked out the, the window, and my, the wing was on fire. The, uh, the engine was on fire under the wing. And the pilot was like, there'll be some fire trucks on the, on the runway. It's okay. But, like, my friend, they landed. It was pretty scary. I can't remember the details. And he said he was pretty sure he had died, but that... In the other universe, he survived. In this universe, he survived. But in most of the universes, he died. He was mostly dead. But you only keep going on and leaving the dead bodies behind because the dead ones don't remember. You keep dodging all these bullets. How many times have you come close to death in your life? Um, well, that's unknowable. I mean, imagine, you, imagine the things that you, you're unaware of. But a hand, I don't know, a couple. Cars where you swerved out or you slammed on the brakes or an airplane. I've been in, I've been, I've been in two really bad car accidents. One very bad car accident. Two, two, two very serious car accidents in my life. And another time I've been in an airplane with just my dad and the engine blew up and it was a single plane. So all three of those just right there up top of my head. And so, and so what are the odds when the engine, you know, dies? It's like one in four, one in five that you die, you know, one in three. I don't know what the odds are, you know, when, you, when, when a car stops short of the highway and you got to jam on the brakes or you get into an accident and car starts bump, bouncing around. Every one yeah, of those I is. Well, I flip multiple times going over 100. Okay. Multiple times. Okay. In a, in a freeway. One and two, two and three. The, I mean, okay. So how are you dodging all these bullets? Like, it's incredible, right? I mean, it's like. Even the one in a thousand that you get a heart attack tomorrow is adding to it. You know, I mean, all these numbers probably less than one in a thousand, but every one of these things are adding up every second, every day. You know, the odds when you, when you do the Vegas pie, when you look at the odds to win MVP, and it's like, you know, this is this pie is too big. This is not good odds. You, your odds are like astronomical that you would have made it this far with all these incidents, and not to mention walking yeah. down the street every day, crossing the street, just small risks. How? 
Well, one way to explain the way he explained it is, no, you, you've lost many times, but that, is, that one got shut off. It's a survivor bias, right? It's, you have a survivorship bias. The one that survived is the one that's standing here remembering. The ones that died don't remember. They're gone in those other universes. And so his idea was that, you know, you, we're branching off all the time. And, you know, he died on the plane, but, he, you know, this version is here. But what if we're branching off every second, every fraction of a second, branching off, branching off, branching off in this quantum split every second? Like there's just almost infinite many of you. Every second there's a decision point. And think about how the interaction with everybody else in the world's splitting off at every second, how many infinite upon infinite universes there would really be. And even at the atomic level, the cellular level. So this is what these numbers, see, this is what these numbers are for. Because why would you be able to imagine it if it had no point? The numbers that, that I was creating were so big, you can't even speak about them. It was, it was a function that generated. And the ones that these guys schooled me on were like, no, 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 your number's huge. But you don't even know. This is a whole different magnitude, a whole different dimension. But the thing I'm talking about, which is these lives sloughing off every millisecond, you know, whatever the amount of the minimum amount of time you have of consciousness, is, you know, you start to do the permutations of how many universes there are, really. And now we're talking. Now we're now we're cooking with some gas with these numbers. See what I'm saying? <laughs> you gotta have a big paradigm. Yeah, I, a big paradigm. I, I see what you're saying, and it also checks out what you were saying earlier is that you have to have a good imagination for this. To be interesting. <laughs> I, I do not have a good imagination. <laughs> yeah, you gotta you gotta have a good imagination. Okay, so that's good. That's all I'm saying. I mentioned briefly the uh, you know that Trump call to the, to the Secretary of State of Georgia was. Totally false. Like they, they just lied about that. The Washington Post quietly corrected it two months later. Uh, it's moved on. You know, Biden's office of president. It's, just not, it's like a no return. That is, it is what it is. And then, you know, remember the whole Capitol thing where somebody was supposedly beaten to death with a fire extinguisher. That did not happen. It didn't happen. It just didn't happen. It's crazy. Like all this stuff that was reported, it was yelled about everywhere. And then quietly a few months later, it's corrected. As I said, I think the tide is turning, but. There's not even, they're not even trying anymore. Correct it two months later. Oh yeah, that was actually, he never really said that. They don't even give a shit. It's like, it served its purpose and now we can reveal the fact because it came out and, ah, okay. I guess that wasn't true. Yeah, though I, yeah, I came across it, but it was not publicized much, the, uh, the Trump correction. But um, I don't know, I wonder now with fewer people watching the news, what is going to happen? I, I don't know. Um, but yeah, I mean, that's very, extremely annoying that the truth is basically whatever you know, the media decides they want you to, to hear. It's whatever's convenient. You know, they, they just, it, it's whatever fits the narrative for the moment. And then they switch and it's, we talked about that in this podcast and we have to beat that horse, but it's just yet another example of it. All right. Uh, you have anything before we uh, get into sports? I got some, I got some sports shit for you too. <laughs> no, no. Yeah. Let's hear some, here's some sports. I see Kenny Galladay is trending on Twitter as we speak. And so he's got to be linked to your giants, but uh, no, I'm, I'm wide open. What's up? I'm not against Kenny Galladay being on the giants. Slayton Galladay. They got the fastest man in the league. John Ross stolen from the Bengals. Oh yeah. 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 Nice. Yeah. I'm not happy. The Niners resigned Trent Williams and brought in Alex Mack. Um, that would have been a, a bad loss losing Williams, but they gave him a lot of money. Free agencies definitely picking up. Weird how the Patriots are doing. Belichick spends more in one day. What is they lose Brady and then they're just totally changing this whole model. And after drafting two tight ends, it's it's a little odd, you know. I mean, I get that you can't be perfect, but I don't know. It's weird. What a, what a acknowledgement of sunk cost. You know, they they use two third round picks or they fourth round picks. They use two picks just this year. Yeah, they're like third, yeah. And they and they just you know okay fine we'll sign two guys. I think Cam is going to be pretty good though. I think he'll be better. I'm backing on him, and I mean, you know, like top 20 quarterback, not not crazy, and but I think like you know, in the, 
in a league where running quarterbacks get a lot of points, I'd be very fine with him being my, my top guy. I think they'll be a, a much better team. Forget about football. Uh, I want to talk baseball. I'm more interested in this. A main event, I got my draft slot. What'd you get? What draft slot would you want? How would you arrange your KDS? Um, so I, I one through one, I, I would just go through the, I would not change it. I would that, that's what I did too. And I, I've, I've thought about it more and more and I just, I wouldn't mess around is, is what, uh, yeah, that's, that's what I would do. And what'd you end up with? So I did the exact same thing. I started messing and I was like, you know what? I really want DeGrom and yeah. oh, maybe I'll try to get the third pick. And then I started looking at it. I'm like, no, you better get the first pick if you want yeah. DeGrom. If you want DeGrom, you do not think you're going to get him at two. Cause I think, uh, Main event, he's he's one point one. Especially main event, and and, and he shocked if folds one point. So he's throwing a hundred now, Degrom in spring training, and yeah. it's one thing when you have like Kershaw throwing ninety three as the best pitcher in the league, and and the hundred mile an hour throwers or guys like Syndergaard or you know Severino. But now the best pitcher is the guy who also throws the hardest, you know, the, in the best park. On a good team, they just added a without a DH. Without a DH, without a DH, it just added a Gold Glove shortstop. I mean, this is there's, there's Degrom and there's everybody else. I just think that that's one point one. So as soon as I sort of dawned on me, like, oh yeah, I want Degrom, and what's it going to take to get him? And I was like, all right, yeah. So I got the fifth pick though. So I'm not getting Degrom, but I just that was that was what I realized about the, the KDS. Yeah, I know I'm with you there. So, what do you? Who are you rooting for then, or who are you like? What's the game plan then? So, and, and it's funny. I, I said some of this on the XM show, but I know some of my competitors listen to that, and I don't know if any of the guys in my league listen to this podcast. But you know what? It's a reward if you listen to the podcast. Then you deserve a little intel, so you can that, that'll be you know, right? You know, I gave away some intel, but my I'm hoping to get Soto. I'm not. If Cole were available at five, I'd consider him. But I, I'm leaning against it. And the reason I'm leaning against it is I think there's a big gap between him and DeGrom for the reason we said. Park, league, you know, no DH. Also, you know, the defense is better than the Mets. It just, DeGrom's a little bit better of a pitcher, I think, than Cole. I, I think it, Cole's great, but I think with those, one of those, I, I'm going to get one of the big four between, you know, Acuna, Tatis, Soto, or Betts. So that's pretty good to get one of those guys. Yeah, interesting. I heard uh, Phil DeSalt, a good player. I probably pronounced his name wrong. Sorry. Um, he, uh, I heard him on a pod saying that he was going to take Garrett Cole number one in the one of those uh, $2,500 DC slow ones, the Mike Mouth one maybe he's talking about. But um, so, so he, he even has Cole ahead of, of, of DeGrom. And I, I hear you, though. I'm more DeGrom, but I would strongly consider Cole. At yeah, I'm consistent. Even, even, even Bieber, man. I'm a pitcher guy, though. So, but um, five's a good spot. I mean, Soto runs. He's in his prime. Um, it's a good park. I mean, all those guys are pretty good. I mean, even and then would you would you try to attack the pitching? And then coming back two and three. I, I heard you on XM, and I agree with you. Like Snell and Glass now, I'm with you there. They're just as good, right? I mean, and I mean Snell is in such a good environment now too. So I, yeah, I I think the part of the reason. So I do I do see the point of Cole at at one point two. Or I, I don't see him ahead of Degrom. I don't really see the case. I'd have to hear the. Specific case for that. Maybe Degrom had a little bit of injury stuff last year, but yeah, I, I could see Cole. But I think it's better what, because I'm getting one of those guys. And the way back, well, he was the number one. I mean, Cole was the unanimous uh, consensus number one before just the 60 game sample last year. I mean, I guess that's the case, right? Before last last summer, where he was perfectly good. By the way, he wasn't like he was bad last summer. Yeah, but yeah, like that he didn't. Yeah. He was. 
he wasn't the number one pitcher, you're saying, uh, after 2019. Yeah, but remember, he was on the Astros that year. So, like, that's... Yeah, so he's, he's, in a, he's in a pitcher's park, and... Yeah, it's a little different. And the Rangers were a bad hitting team. They had some weaker team. I don't know. The Mariners are pretty bad. He, it was a very, it was a different situation. Although, you know, the Red Sox aren't a good team, but they're a good hitting team. Baltimore's not a great team, but when you're in Camden Yards, give up. You know, there's a lot of run score. The Blue Jays are a good team now, uh, so I think it's it's a little worse for Cole. But okay, I mean, and there's a weird Astros secret sauce too. There really is. It's seemingly right. some weird Astros bump. Okay, right. continue though. Sorry. Go ahead. So okay, so. One of those four guys is going to follow me, and that's great, right? I mean, some people are taking those guys number one, so I'm getting one of them at five. I like soda. I want to just have some soda, but, you know, Betts just does everything. Tatis, Acuna. Tatis, Acuna do more, you know, power and speed-wise than Betts, I think, probably. But I'm a little nervous about the batting average. They might not bat 290 or 300, whereas Betts and uh, Soto are like locks to bat 300. Anyway, any of those guys is fine. Then, round two, I do think Kershaw will be there or Scherzer or Flaherty. Now, the guys get pushed up in the main event, so those guys could be gone. Um, if I had to, I could go Glasnow and Snell, which wouldn't be the worst thing in the world, but I'd like to get one of those three, Flaherty, Scherzer, Kershaw, which ADP says I will get, but you never know, um, and then get either Glasnow yeah, on the on, on, in the third round. And that, and that makes it so I get one of the elite guys in, in the top hitters, and then I get two good pitchers. But even that is like, I like so many pitchers later. There's so many pitchers I love in the later rounds. And it's like, even two pitchers might be too much. Uh, I don't think so. I, I don't, don't be a netless monkey. Go for it, man. Um, well, you already signed up for the main event. I need to do sign up myself here. So, uh, you're, uh, obviously, so it's all online. And, um, so you did it early then. When is it? When is your Sunday? It's already Sunday. Okay, interesting. Have you found it better to do the earlier main events? I wonder. I can't tell. I mean, they're only a week apart. I don't know. You know, obviously there's yeah. more information, but, you know, that also means everybody in your league has more information. I don't think it really makes a difference. I think you could. And you really throw really throw ADP out the window with the main event. It's just so crazy. This year I'm really doing it. And I think you've done a better job of that than me in the past. Like, you just, like, draft your guys, and I'd always be like, oh, that's you know, I'd be a little like, oh, ADP is like the wisdom of crowds. I better heed that. I don't give a shit at all this year. I'm just going to take my guys one after another. I, I'm just aware of ADP to like try to figure out where I make my moves and when I can wait for my guy one more round. But I'm just pulling guys way up ADP. So I might go, you know, the hitter and the two pitchers because I don't like the hitters there. I don't really want any of the hitters. I don't really want to take Kyle Tucker in round three or Luis Robert if they're even there. You know, I don't want to take Machado in round two. But it's not that excited to take those guys. Yep, I feel the, the exact same same way. I um, yeah, I I take a Randy a Rosarena later. It's like similar to to say a, a Robert. Yeah, I mean they're, they're pretty similar. Robert, how do you? Think I think it's just Robert. Robert. I think I think it's Robert. Okay. Anyway. So and then, I'm with you. I, I agree. That's why I would attack. That's why I'm attacking the pitchers in rounds two and three. So I, I had some guys, right? And I don't know if I should read this, but you know, I'll, I'll read it because it's the podcast. So if you listen, don't you know. At least you know. So I'm looking at, you know, DeGrom based on a miracle, but one of the four. And then I'm looking at Bueller sometimes falls. We're probably not Scherzer, Flaherty, Kershaw. And if I were to get a hitter, it would be Machado or Tucker. And then Snell, Glass now in three. I mean, those guys are going late three, early four even. I assume they'll be there. You never know, though, in the, in the main. And then the fourth, guys like Vlad, Baez, Torres, Bregman. Bregman, I'm a little nervous about. Stefani right. Bell is... is uh, 
making me scared of him because the hamstring. And then Baez Torres, I like Austin Meadows, by the way. He he was a third rounder last year, and he's he had a horrible summer. He got hurt. I reached for him. Kettle Marte, he hurt his ankle, but the guy I got him in the eighth round of my of my second beat Chris List. I love that guy, Jordan Alvarez. Some of the rounds I like Lazardo. I like Altuve. I like Buxton. JD Martinez. Paddock. Uh, I like Victor Robles a lot this year. I like Giancarlo Stanton, like round eight ish. I'm looking. These are all like ahead of where they go. You know, I'm just like I'm just going to take one of these guys that I like. The only closer I'm looking at in the first ten rounds is, is Kenley Jansen, who's pitching well and uh, is is kind of cheap for what he usually is. Yeah, he probably. I was worried about his velocity at the end of last year, but it seems to be fine now. The Dodgers are going to win a million games, and he should be the guy. So, yeah, I, I was buying Craig Kimbrell earlier, and yeah. uh, the beat Jeff Erickson one, and man, he's just getting lit up like a christmas tree my cringe check I, i've definitely been in on him but i might have to to, to step back because I'm, i already have so many so many shares of him and he uh, he may not even be the closer so I, yeah the, the closer situation is tricky I, jansen might very well be the guy who just racks up 40 saves and you get later so i mean you know he could be i mean i yates is looking healthier um i liked rosenthal in the a's but then he suffered a groin injury and they're just those other guys are so expensive so it's so it's tough yeah, and Rosenthal, I mean, he had a great summer, but, like, it's, like, how many innings? Like, 20 innings? And he was, like, basically, like, on the ropes, like, not even barely making a team the year before. I'm a little nervous about him. Uh, I like Jansen. And then I like Robles. Robles in good shape. It just seems like a oh, different yeah. guy. Uh, Dylan Bundy, your guy, Gossman, I like. Urias. And then, like, round 10, just, like, Soler, Ian Happ, Sixto Sanchez, Corey Kluber. But I love these pitchers. I love the late pitchers so much that I'm like, I feel like I can do the hitting thing again. I just hate the, the hitters in like rounds two and three. That That's the issue for me. Yeah, I hear you. But it, you'll, you'll need the pitching, though. I, I feel like you're not going to be, oh, man, I'm overloaded in pitching in the 15-team league. I really, I mean, I get what you're saying. But you know, that'll just end up, you end up getting one or two in the middle. You know what I mean? And it's, it'll be tough to fill out eight guys you like with 15, in the 15-team league. Well, no, the problem is what, what happens is then all these rounds, like round 11, round 12, round 13, round 15, I'm going to like a pitcher best, but I'm going to have seven pitchers already, and, I have to, and I'll need the hitting. So I have to pass on guys I like to take a hitter, whereas if I loaded up on hitting early, I'd be like, no, I'm taking, I'm taking the guy I prefer every single round. Well, do it then. If you if you liked your your how that turned out in your second beat Chris list, um, as opposed to uh, the, you know the one with me where you did the normal one, do it again in the main event. Why not? I know, but it's a lot easier to do in the twelve than the fifteen. You know, it's just like it's easy to sit there and be like, oh, I got everybody. Fifteen, you're like, oh shit. You know, like I I got snaked on a couple guys. Ooh, ooh, I don't really like these guys that much. I do need one. I, the question is, I'm going to get one pitcher at two three. Do I get the is it Chris is my man up and. And, get, and just do one and basically do the same strategy but with one quasi-ace or do I just go yeah. none where in the 12 I was willing to go none yeah that's what you told me to do when I tried that strategy two years ago was to get one ace so yeah maybe yeah see see how it goes don't be totally married to whatever strategy but um yeah I, I'm going I'm, I'm just all in on, on pitchers that's 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 where I sit this year but um, number five could be a, if you don't love Cole and both could be gone then then if you start with the, I, I don't see a big difference between any of those hitters, Acuna, Tatis, Soto, Betts, Trout, Yelich. Um, so yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't feel strongly about any of those either. I, 
kind of want to get Soto. I know you're a little light in steals, but I like a lot of steals guys late too. So I, I feel like Soto, if he gets you 12 or 15 steals, that's fine. Because Although it's kind of hard to justify Soto over Trout because Soto is Trout. He's like the same guy. I guess Soto strikes out less. No. Yeah, Trout, Trout misses a month every every year, it seems like, this year. And Soto said vocally that he wants to run more. I think yeah. he has four steals in one game on his resume. I don't know. For whatever reason, I remember that. Anyone who steals four, maybe it was just a horrible catcher, and I, and I shouldn't right, probably it. But that st- stuck out to me, that a guy that he could steal more in the future. But, um, yeah, I don't know. I'll take the younger guy younger guy there with Trout seemingly missing some time each year. But um, but one of them, he was hit by a pitch. One of the years that Trout missed a month, he was hit by a pitch. Another one, it wasn't like, you know, it's not like no, he's not going to diss Trout. Yeah. I just, I just read before this also, is that I, I think the, the Angels announced that they're not going to be using a, a humidor, which they have been using. I don't know if that means anything at all, but it could mean my guy Otani, who's hitting 480-foot bombs, I think hit one off Bieber recently, uh, goes crazy in that in that shorter right field porch. So definitely winning MVP. This is what I <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no, he, he's, he's hitting now too, which is crazy. He's got a pitch though well. That's the thing we haven't really seen. He's throwing 99 or whatever, but he's got to pitch well. And if he has the command, it's going to be sick. I'm, I want to draft some Otani. I haven't yet. I haven't had any Otani, but I want to get some. Yeah, no, for sure. Yeah, it's, just, yeah, it's tough in the NFBC though, because like, it, I mean, I guess you obviously play matchups, but I just know that he'll be, I'll, I would do the opposite every week. I should have him in as a pitcher. He'll, he'll do better. As a he'll hit four home runs. Yeah, he'll, I, I want him one. Yeah, he'll, have, he'll hit four home runs when he's in there as a pitcher and then get shelled in the start. And then you'll have him as a hitter and he'll throw like a 12 strikeout shutout. It's, it is, that is really infuriating, right? I mean, to get whipsawed that way, that is a possibility. And it's going to be hard to predict. Yeah. And the other problem is I love the DHs. Like, I love Alvarez. I love Stanton. I like Cruz. I, I'm not the guy who takes him, but I like him. Uh, I like J.D. Martinez at the price. I like so many of the DHs. And, you know, Otani's a DH. You know, so then if you have a DH, you know, so that's, that's one thing. But it's cool because you can draft Otani as a pitcher. And then if that, the great thing about him is, like, you know, if I'm – like I like all these pitchers, and I draft Otani as a pitcher, and I don't have a DH. I can be like, oh, I'll just take another pitcher because I'll I'll just count Otani in my mind as a hitter. Right, right. No man, the main event already coming up. It's it's fine. I'm, I've been uh, definitely uh, prepared, locked in for baseball this year, and I got to get go sign up myself. Um, it's uh, yeah, that's exciting. List. Um, one thing I remember, I was uh, took a note. I heard you guys talking on XM. Uh, you and Jeff about Albies. A um, couple things. Um, one, um, I would probably use just, I don't know for sure it's better, but I would probably personally use the Bat X over the Bat because that incorporates stat cast when you're, that actually lowered Albies' uh, batting average for your favor. I checked right. that out. And secondly, uh, Cardi does have nothing to do with games played. Um, the projection. I see, right. Says that, you know, that, would be, that would be insane for his time, he says. It's just, it's all the, the fan graphs people. So it's people just paying attention to that. So he's at the mercy 100% of them. And probably Steamer does the same, I would guess. But um, yeah, that's, I even heard Todd Zola on a, on a, on a pod saying, I could probably heard someone else say it, but it makes total sense. You would rather know in the future someone's uh, games played uh, amount than you would their slash line. Right. So really, yeah. it's like the key, the key one is games played. And that actually has nothing to do with these projection systems. So that's just something that, that I thought about when I heard you guys uh, talking about that on XM. Yeah, that is funny, but it is like so arbitrary, right? Like if, if you know, whoever it is, whether it's Cardi or whether it's just fan graphs, like they give one guy this many games, one guy that many games. And if you don't put it and that's why they have like the steeper 600, you know, where it's, it's playing time neutral. But if you don't, 
know that they're doing that, you're going to get a totally skewed version of of the value of these players. Hundred percent, yes, for sure. And it's like I, I wish there was an, an algorithm where it could be like the aging curve. You know, right. second baseman who are going from their age thirty four to thirty five season. I mean, it'd be great if they had all the soft tissue injuries in their history too. But literally, you could just look at how many games they've averaged and what year the decline the, the starts. I feel like it could be a little bit better than just someone subjectively, you know, thinking, you know, putting them in. So that it, you're right. That's a great. That's a flaw. Yeah, but but also, but the second baseman in general aren't necessarily applicable to a particular second baseman, right? Is What's more applicable off the top of your head? Say a guy's turning 31 this year. All the 31-year-olds that, you know, all the guys who turned 31 after having, you know, a reasonably healthy track record in his prior three years. Or a guy who's turning 31 this year, all the guys turning 31 who played his particular position. What would be a more important data set for you? The, the second one you're saying, knowing his position, what, what was the first one? I'm saying the first one is just everybody his age, right? Aging curve, yeah, generally. The second one is position-specific, which is obviously a smaller sample. Oh, but it depends on the sport. Baseball, I guess, just age, but football, you got to go position. Well, yeah, running back, you would do different than receiving. Yeah, that, that would be how oh, quarterbacks are being averaged in with kickers and running backs. Yeah, obviously. So that's what I'm saying is like just, just that idea. Right? So someone say, oh, second baseman, they don't age well. Okay, but how do people age generally? It's not even clear that that's even something that's more important. Or you know, it's like oh, he's a thirty-year-old who's healthy now. Doesn't matter that he missed some time with a knee thing last summer or a couple years ago. Does you know what's the difference between a chronic injury and an injury you've gotten over? It's hard to algorithmically deal with injuries because they're they're sort of it's it's kind of like quality it's just hard to turn qualitative information into quantitative information i guess is the is the issue there's ways to do it but it seems like it'd be pretty noisy and so everybody just kind of eyeballs it but there's also a lot of bias in that because you know jeff made the argument well look it's a trend he's getting less healthy as he ages and second baseman don't age well and but he's healthy now to me, that's like the biggest data is like he's healthy now. He came in the spring training healthy and he hasn't been injured during spring training. To me, that's like the most important fact than the past. Uh, but, but the past matters. I mean, you know, Buxton, I would not give him 155 games. Yeah, for sure. And it's a weird way of like uh, explaining this, but like Pinal wanted to argue uh, LeMahieu versus Altuve because that Altuve ranked higher. And, and part of my explanation was I, I know it, Sounds weird, but I actually prefer to draft players coming off bad years as opposed to like peak. And I'm like being serious. Like I'd really rather that player coming off a down year than some guy who just had a good year. I just would rather that. And part there's no way of quantifying that. But I don't know. I personally think maybe guys are best shape of their life. Maybe that there is something to do with I'm coming off a horrible year, so I'm going to work harder in the off season. Or I was hurt all of last year. That's why this year was down or whatever. But it's very difficult to have sustained success and these guys are good and if they're coming off a down year then all the more reason like i, I mean i'm saying all things equal not just because they're cheaper adp right i mean I at the same price coming off shitty seasons i mean yes i would much prefer this player have a coming off a worse a bad season than a good one like, that's, whatever what do you think is that, that makes sense it does make sense but here's here's what people will hear sometimes they'll hear the gambler's fallacy which is there's been three heads in a row so i'm going to bet tails Right, which obviously after the three heads are already recorded, it's still 50-50, right? You're, there's not more likely to be. But I think there's merit to your point, and you explained it a little bit because there's motivation. Uh, humans aren't coins, right? They, there's memory of what happened. And think about this. 
when you have a capitalist system, there's wealth inequality, right? Some people are going to have more money than others. And you think, well, you know, that's unfair. But if everybody has equal opportunities, at least, then it's a little bit more fair. You say, well, no, because the rich people, you know, they'll, they'll have, you know, they'll have better opportunities. It's, it's, and the poor people never be able to, to catch up. But actually, I think there's a natural mechanism by which the opposite happens, which is if you ever see really rich people's kids, you know, you watch Succession, they're fuck ups because they're rich. Like they're not hungry to like succeed in the same way. They're not, they, you know, they have a life of ease, not hardship. They, they just don't, they don't suffer discomfort very often. And discomfort is necessary for success. Whereas some middle class kid or some kid from, you know, with good parents, but who has less money, you know, may have just been in a lot of uncomfortable situations. He knows what he wants. He's had to go out in the world and deal with shit, not be sheltered and coddled. And he's going to kick the shit out of some rich kid, legacy kid, who's never really worked an honest day in his life. He's going to kick the shit out. Now, in, unfortunately, in, in the U.S. and in many developed countries, it hasn't really been capitalism. It's been this crony capitalism where they actually just cheat and they just keep the, the poor people down by cheating. But if you really were to have a, you know, a meritocratic system, there is a, a natural nature correcting mechanism that will say, well, you know, the third generation of the rich people now becomes poor because they squander their wealth. And a lot of middle class people rise to a lot of wealth uh, because they have more energy, more drive and more uh, courage. But then their kids get rich and, you know, the same cycle happens in reverse. And there's actually like a lot of movement if the system isn't, you know, fixed into place by a lot of bad regulations that, that I think is part of the reason why there is bad wealth inequality now and it's the Fed is printing and making it, you know, much harder to get out of. But but my point is that you know that's a, cor- a natural correcting mechanism, and I think that would explain your theory, which is that if you have a bad year, and not because you're 39 years old and you're you know halfway out of the league, but you know you're young enough and you're in your prime, you're going to correct what's wrong. And when you're going well, you're going to naturally not make any changes. And then the league's going to be making adapting to you because you've been successful. They're going to figure out new ways to attack you, whereas the struggling guy is going to be figure out new ways to improve against the league. And so I think there is a corrective mechanism, and there's to what you're saying. Um, but, you know, there's the other side of, you know, stock traders say, well, you know, don't, you know, let your winners run and sell your losers. Don't say, oh, I'm going to sell my winner and take a profit and then buy this stock that's under, you know, double down on stock that's underperforming, cost average down so I can get back to even. That's a, a recipe for disaster in investing. You know, usually the, the better companies are better for a reason. But I think you're talking about actual proven good players who are ostensibly somewhat yes. near their primes, who are, who are not, you know, the bad company, they're successful, but they had a bad year for whatever reason. Yeah, I'm fitting it into my perfect narrative, but the gambler's fallacy is, yes, I, I get what you're saying with that. Um, and the born on third base is a great analogy here with the wealth and the, and the motivation for these players. Um, I got to get ready for this friends and family draft. Uh, I'm glad you, uh, you, you signed up for the March Madness uh, pool. The, the bracket. Donation. Uh, That's my donation to the pool. Yeah. Yeah, I'm glad you did that. And um, also, before we go, I have to apologize for the, the we were pronouncing kafir apparently totally wrong. You are such an asshole. Kafir, it's delicious, is kafir, but it's not kefir. I guess I still like I like kefir better, but kafir. Kafir. Thank you for uh, thank you for, uh, for for correcting us on that. But um, yeah, man, good stuff, Liz. Uh, you got anything else? I saw this. Well, I shouldn't even mention this. It was okay. I saw this movie that was acclaimed called Druk. D-R-U-K, about these, I think it was these Swedish dudes who decide to drink, get drunk every day. They're teachers at this, at oh, this yes. high school. Right about that, yes. And, uh, and, you know, things start going well for them at first, I'll just say. But uh, not a great movie. It's kind of overrated, but it was pretty funny, some of it. And just, just the, I, I like the premise of it. I, don't, I didn't really love the execution. 
Okay, yeah, no, interesting. Well, you rarely recommend anything, so I'll leave Mark down, but I, I had read about that. It was an interesting trend, for sure. Yeah, it's okay. It's okay. Okay. All right, man. Uh, I'm going to keep recommending a promising young woman until you put it in the uh, description of this podcast. So the, the, uh, actually, I think it did get a best pick on it. Was, uh, All right, that's Dalton's recommendation. All right, man. Take it easy. I'm going to go dominate this draft, and uh, you, you dominate. Good luck with your main event Sunday. Thanks, man. Take it easy, Dalton.